0: Please open your Bibles to Judges chapter 3. And let me say a few things before we read. Since since September 14th, 2008, I have preached 124 sermons in Matthew's gospel. We've gone from verse 1 in Matthew chapter 1 all the way to verse 30 in Matthew chapter 19. We've went through all those verses. And so we have 9 chapters to go, probably two more years. But we've taken breaks, and we're going to take a break today. And God is so good. I I set out this week on a quest to prepare a sermon on an obscure Old Testament character. I wanted to come up with something juicy for Father's Day, and I did. But in the process, God opened my eyes to some amazing truths in his word that I hope that you will latch on to as well. So, take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 3 and stand with me as we read God's Word. We're going to read verses 12 through 30. Now, there's something I said in my first sermon in Matthew while explaining the genealogy of Jesus. I said, every word of Scripture is important. And with that, let's dive into the story of Ehud. Judges 3, beginning at verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and bound it on his right thigh under his clothes." and he presented the tribute to Eglon king of Moab now Eglon was a very fat man and when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute he sent away the people who carried the tribute but he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said I have a secret message for you O king and he commanded silence and all his attendants went out from his presence and Ehud came in to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he did not still come out the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. He had escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Syria. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the forge of the Jordan against the Moabites, and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites. All strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was dis- subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that, that you want to teach us today. That you want to encourage our hearts today. That you even want to challenge us today today. And you want to teach us about who you are through this passage, and then how you want us to respond. So Lord, we we commit ourselves to you, and this time as well, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I entitled this sermon, Ehud, a lefty with a pointed message. I want you to see today the story, what happened, what actually happened here. And then I want you to see the story behind the story. How did they get here? And then the story as it relates to Jesus. What are the gospel tie-ins? Now many times, Old Testament stories are told merely through the lens of the character on how we can be like a good character or not be like a bad character. But I want us to look further than that. I want us to ask the question, how does this story tell us about how God works? And how does this story tell us about God and his relationship with his people? And how does it fit into the bigger story of the entire Bible? What does God want us to know about him? What does God want us to do in response? Because you'll find that as you go through a passage like this, you do some digging and you find some really cool stuff. And then you do a little more digging and you find some really cool stuff. And then you dig a little deeper and you find a motherload load of, of amazing nuggets of wisdom and truth from God. So we're looking at the story of Ehud. Now, this story in Judges 3 12 through 20, 30 pictures God as the deliverer of his people. He delivers his people. Now we see this in two verses primarily here. Verse 15, it says the Lord raised up for them a deliverer. And then Ehud makes a statement in verse 28. The Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. Here is the left-handed man from a tribe known for its right-handedness. And he is reflecting about how God delivers his people. The message today is that God saves his people from impossible situations in amazing ways. God saves his people from impossible situations in amazing ways. He delivers his people from seemingly hopeless situations, dead-end streets even, in unexpected and surprising ways. And this is the way God has worked through history. If you go through and just, you you picture some of the things that God has done. He, He delivered his people by preserving Joseph's life and giving him favor in Pharaoh's household of all places. God delivered Moses from death by having Pharaoh's daughter rescue him and then hiring Moses' mom to take care of him. God delivered the people out of Pharaoh's hand by bringing plagues crazy plagues upon the Egyptians and then leading his people through a walled-up, stopped-up Red Sea. Crazy stuff! God delivered Elijah by sending fire from heaven to show the prophets of Baal that he is God. And God delivered by making the blind see and, and the deaf hear and the lame walk. And most importantly, God delivered his people from their sins by coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and dying on a cross for those sins. A crazy idea. An unexpected thing. Who would have thought? Well, first let's look at the story behind the story of Ehud. How did they get there? We're dealing with the time between Joshua and Samuel a time before God gave kings and what he gave them was judges. Who were judges and why did God give them? It's a good question. Judges, I like to picture judges as kind of like sheriffs in the old wild west because they had some power and they could get more if they were a good judge. God was using the judges to deliver the people from their oppressors at the same time that he was using their oppressors to teach them a lesson and to test their hearts so you've got this king named Eglon and he got power because God allowed them to flourish because Israel was unfaithful it's the way a lot of evil kings got power God allowed them to come in to teach his people the pattern in Judges is so clear to see it's so predictable here's what happens God's people rebel. They, they go against him. They, they go after other gods. And what does God do? God brings an oppressor. God puts them under uh, someone else's uh, power and they serve a wicked king. And at some point in time, they come to their senses and, and they cry out to God for deliverance, for God to save them, for God to rescue them. And he does. He, he provides a deliverer. And the people have rest. The people have peace. But only until they start the cycle all over again and they are disobedient to God and they rebel and he puts them under an oppressor and they finally come to their senses and they cry out to God and he gives them a deliverer and then they have peace. And the pattern just keeps going all throughout all 13 judges that they had. It's the same blueprint that gets followed every time. It's rebellion, oppression, repentance, salvation, then peace. But it never lasted. They always went back through the cycle. And what a striking contrast. Here is the people's rebellion against God, and it was so predictable, it was like clockwork. And sometimes the clock went a long time before they came to their senses. But God's solution to bring them back was very unexpected. All of a sudden, it would happen. Let us look at the story itself. What actually happened here, and what are some details that we need to understand to, to get what was happening? Well, there was this evil king, Eglon, and he had taken over the city of Palms, also known as Jericho. So here's a city that was known... As the place of victory for God's people, the place where God delivered them, now is known as a symbol of defeat. He had taken over the city, he had brought in his false gods, he was even being worshipped as a god there. And Eglon, it says, dominated them for 18 years. He aligned himself with two of Israel's mortal enemies. And then the people finally cry out to God. 18 years without turning back to God. That's some stubbornly deceived people. But they finally pray. It says they cry out to God. They they pray. And God sends a deliverer. Now this is the second deliverer he has sent. The, The second judge. His name is Ehud. Now by the way, the first judge was named Othniel. It was Caleb's nephew. He was like the model judge. No one could follow after him. And and Ehud was like so unmodel of a judge. Othniel was probably an elder statesman by the time he became a judge. Probably 75, 80 years old, the people trusted him. And then you have Ehud. And the Bible tells us that God raised him up. So it was God's doing that Ehud was now the judge. And the Bible tells us that he was left-handed he wasn't right-handed i'm not going to have the the lefties raise their hands today i am not i've decided i'm not going to throw the lefties under the bus today i've done that with cats too much already recently i will say this about lefties they are gifted they are intelligent they are creative they just use the wrong hand And so Ehud is is left-handed. Now, by the way, the Jews would have laughed when they read this. God has such a great sense of humor. Here's Ehud, a Benjamite. Benjamin means son of the right hand. And he's left-handed. Now, the word for left-handed, it means challenged in the right hand. Some people think that he actually was maybe deformed in his right hand and he couldn't use it. Ehud took his left hand And made for himself a two-edged sword He's got a plan that's brewing No one else but him and God know about it And he's making this sword And then he's chosen to take a tribute to Eglon, the king Now, you've got to understand what this was about This is not a one-time occurrence This was every year it would happen Once a year now, for 18 years in a row They had been giving hush money to Eglon this was a humiliating process designed to humiliate. What they would do is they would, it, there would be pomp and circumstance, and they would come in and bow down and, and say, Oh, Eglon, you are so awesome and so great. We love you so much. Here's all this stuff for you because you're so amazing. They didn't believe that. They had to do that so that he wouldn't hurt them. Ehud has this idea And so he gives the tribute Gives the gift And then he tells everyone You all go along You all go along ahead I've got some business to take care of He stays behind And he engages the king He says I've got a secret for you Now you know how it feels When someone says to you Hey i got a secret You want to know You get curious Well Eglon gets really curious And he's like Everyone get out of here I need to talk to this guy He's got a secret So he Takes him upstairs Now if you're a king like Eglon And you're rich and people are giving you all these Tributes You've, you've got a lot of stuff And you've got an upper roof chamber A cool upper roof chamber And if, and, and if you're Eglon You've got a, a porta potty up there You've got a restroom Built in Other, The common folks didn't have this So they go upstairs into the cool roof chamber. And and Ehud says, I don't just have a secret for you. I have got a message for you from God. Wow. What does Eglon do? He stands up. Even a king would stand up in those days if he thought he was getting a message from God. Now as he stood up to receive the word that Ehud was bringing... Ehud takes his left hand and reaches for the sword that is strapped to his right thigh. It's under his robe. How come it didn't get detected in the pat-down? Because they wouldn't have been looking for a sword on the right thigh. They would have been looking for weapons on the left thigh because you use your right hand to wield the sword. So he takes out the, the weapon and he stabs Eglon in the belly graphic details this is a juicy one it basically goes all the way through doesn't come out the guy's a big boy and basically it goes out his back a lot of people think that his sphincter exploded when it went through and that's why it says the dung came out literally the dirt came out you know what was going on here right Sword did his job, and then Ehud locks the doors and escapes unnoticed. Many people think it's because he he climbed through the porta potty. He climbed through the outhouse and out the back way. That would have been messier. The Eglon's men, what they think? Well, he's just going to the bathroom. He's he's relieving himself. Kids love this story, so do men. We love this story that the egon's men thought he was he was relieving himself so they waited a long time and they're thinking hmm what's going on in there and to the point of ridiculousness so they finally go in and they find him dead on the ground and meanwhile ehud had blown town and he had gone past the false gods which was the territory of the dividing line between the territories and he blew the trumpet he did that to muster the troops he's like come on in boys let's mow down us some Moabites 10,000 fell in one day and and, and in in a surprising unexpected turn of events the Moabites now are subject to the Israelites tables were turned the result the land had peace for 80 years until the people went after false gods again until the people rebelled against God again and the whole cycle continued what we see here is that God delivers his people from seemingly hopeless situations in amazing ways even startling ways and he used an unlikely hero who displayed great courage. Our problem is that we usually lack courage when circumstances seem hopeless. We wave the white flag. We throw in the towel. We surrender to the enemy. We abandon ship. Like a deer in the headlights, we're frozen. We're unable to move. We're unable to do what we know we should do. Or we're afraid to do what God says to do. Or maybe we don't have any idea what to do. Maybe there's a person in your life who won't reconcile with you. You've tried over and over again and they're just hardened. Maybe you have a consistently hostile environment that you you work in or you operate in. Maybe it's even in your own home. Maybe you have continued relational issues that just that just stress you out every week. Maybe there's ongoing unrest. Maybe you're engaged in a ministry where you pour your heart into it and you don't see any fruit. Maybe there's just been a downward spiral in your life, spiritually speaking, and it just keeps continuing. You think that somehow it'll turn around, but it doesn't. You know, Judges is all about a spiritual downward spiral for Israel. So, How can we overcome? How can we stand firm? How can we figure out what God is trying to teach us? I believe Ehud has the answers I believe that, that if you boil the message down In, in Ehud's story What you find are, are some, some assurances from God About who he is And what he wants to do And it range, they range from the obvious To the not so obvious To maybe even the totally hidden and obscure So I'll start with the obvious The first thing That I see in this passage And it's this God does whatever he wants with whomever he chooses. God does whatever he wants with whomever he chooses and it's whenever he he wants on his timetable. Verse 15 tells us God raised up this deliverer. He did it. Now what's not so obvious in this idea is that that Ehud is a Benjamite, which yes means son of the right hand. Well that's the idea of strength and And power and honor. But that's not what the tribe of Benjamin was like at this point in history. Benjamin was the weakest of the tribes. They had been whittled down to a small number. And and it seems that many of them were left handed, not the best for sword handling. But we know that God's power is made perfect is shown to be victorious and triumphant and superior in our weakness i know it's counterintuitive it's kind of like turning the clock backwards to tighten so like going counterclockwise to tighten something or, or like running to stand still and you're thinking i'm not going anywhere or like eating whatever you want and losing weight it's kind of upside down here it's kind of crazy But God here in the story is in the midst of delivering his people in some surprising ways. So you can expect God to bring about the unexpected at unexpected times, in unexpected ways. And all we can say in response is, this is marvelous. God did it. Praise God. God will do anything he wants with anyone he chooses. If he can use a donkey to set a man straight... If he can make an axe head float, if he can make the sun's shadow go backwards, and if he can raise the dead, he can use you. You see, God wants to use you. You say, well, not me. I'm not gifted. Oh, yes, you are. And God wants to use you. In Acts chapter 17, we read this about, about God. Verse 25. He is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Every gift you have, every ability you have, it's from God. It says that in him we live and move and have our being. God wants to use you. He says, I know the plans I have for you. He says, Paul says, God's at work in you. He says that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. So don't give up on the mission that God has given you because you're facing a discouraging situation, a hopeless situation, impossible situation. You will be tempted to come to conclusions without 100% knowledge. You, might be, you will be tempted to compare yourself to others and even complain about your lack of gifting or ability. But don't buy the lie that says that you are in a hopeless situation and that yours is a hopeless case. God does whatever he wants with whoever he chooses. He's got tools on his workbench you never dreamt. Now different needs call for different tools. Sometimes you need a hammer, maybe a needle nose plier, maybe a saw or a sawzall or a nail gun. God will use you if you are available to him. It's like a coach who knows his players. He knows how you're gifted. It's like a contractor who knows how to use his tools. He knows where they are, and he knows how to apply them. It's like a pilot flying an airplane. He knows how to use the instruments. And God made all the tools of the trade, made the instruments that he uses. God wants to use you. You can be used by God for for the glory of the Father. He can use you as his tool, because he delivers through instruments of his own choosing for his own glory so that's the obvious point God does whatever he wants with wh- whatever he chooses he, he chose Ehud here okay? a second thing I'll bring out that I think is another obvious point is that God promises and provides deliverance God saves we can rejoice in God that he provides rescue our God is a God to us of, of deliverances he has delivered us many many times even when we didn't realize we were getting delivered, he has rescued us. But God promises and provides deliverance for his people. He saves. Here he provided a deliverer who creatively and courageously carried out a plan to deliver his word to an evil king. And God's pointed message, very clear. It was judgment on Eglon and the Moabites. It was redemption and salvation for Ehud and the Israelites. God promises And provides deliverance. God wants to save you. God wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. We are in need of rescue. It's like a swimmer caught in a riptide in shark-infested waters. We need to get out of there. Our sin has trapped us. It's like a lost hiker in the wilderness. No way home. No compass. It's like a person... Caught in a burning building that, that needs a, a firefighter to come in and rescue them. They're caught. We need rescue. God wants to save us. It's funny. I, I actually got caught in a riptide once. It wasn't funny, really. A gifted lifeguard saved my life. Got me out of the riptide. Brought me safely to shore. Think about this. God has guarded your life To this day You're here You're alive God has guarded your life to this day Now he wants to transport you To the promised land But what if What if when when Ehud Let's just say Said to the, the children of Israel it blew the trumpet and said come on in What if they had said We like Eglon he's a good guy he's got our back he's like he's dead he can't help you now you see jesus is our only hope and like ehud jesus went behind enemy lines to defeat the enemy what if a pow didn't want rescue what if they pointed the gun at at their freedom fought off their savior that would be just foolishness wouldn't it you know many times you hear you see Jesus asking people what they really want. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be rescued? You can be saved by God through his son Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in John 1:12 that as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God to all those who believe in his name. If you're not a believer today then your greatest need is Rescue from your sins. The greatest need as reflected in this story is deliverance from your sins. See, God's story is a story of deliverance. His ultimate deliverance comes only through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God promises and provides deliverance. God wants to save you. You need need to want that salvation. You need to want to be saved. You need to receive the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Third thing I want to bring up that is not so obvious in this passage. It takes a little more digging in the passage, but you'll get the point quickly is that God's word is living and life-changing. Living and life-changing. That it's essential, it's powerful, it's useful, it's needed, it's necessary. Think with me for a moment. Verse 16, he made himself a sword with two edges. You might have already made some sort of connection there. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Revelation 1.16 speaks of Jesus who is speaking with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Verse 20 in Judges 3, Ehud says to Eglon, I have a message from God for you. His message was one of judgment. Judgment. It was the sharp, two-edged sword. Verse 28, Ehud has a message for the people of Israel. He says, the Lord has given them into your hands. That was God's word for his people that day. His, God, his word of deliverance. See, God's word carries a strong message. It's piercing, it's pointed, it's powerful. Now this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I want to point out two, two names here. Early on, verse 15. Read with me again about Ehud. Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The, word, the name Ehud means, I will give praise. His father's name, Gera, means to chew the cud like a cow would chew the cud and oftentimes we that signifies biblically the idea of meditating on the Word of God chewing the Word of God around in your mind so again this might be a bit of a stretch but meditating on God's Word leads to praise these names do mean something but we can say this with 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 confidence that God's word is living and life-changing. That his word will illuminate your path, as Psalm 119 says, that his word is a light unto our path, a lamp to our feet. First Peter says that we are, those who are born again are born again through the living and abiding word of God. But God wants to guide you by his word. His word is strong and powerful, and he wants to guide you by his word. He wants to give you direction, like, like a road map, like, like a talking GPS, like a Sherpa guide in the Himalayas, where you don't know where you're going. They're going to tell you how to get to where you need to go. See, God alone knows the way. He himself is the way. We wander off the path, but he has this built-in voice recognition software that we, we can recognize his voice and he knows ours. We cry out to him and he hears our cry. Then we recognize his comforting voice. We recognize his correcting voice. Isaiah said that your ears will hear a word behind you, saying, This is the the way. Walk in it, whether you turn to the right or to the left. Psalm 32 says that God will counsel you with his eye upon you. Psalm 19 says his words are our counselors, They, they counsel us. He's the good shepherd that leads you beside quiet waters. Not to where the, the river is raging and you'll be swept away. He, he leads you to safety. See, so you can know God by reading and digesting and studying His Word and, and then by sharing it. Wouldn't it be cool if we would crave the Bible like we crave an In-N-Out burger? Wouldn't it be cool if we would crave the Bible and just want it all the time? that's really not the case for most of us that's not the case it takes discipline to to get into the word of god and and prayer but there are people that we know that need us to share the life-giving water of the word of god because their souls are parched they are dehydrated spiritually have you ever noticed a person whose eyes light up when they hear god's word being read God's word is living and life changing. Fourth thing I'll bring up is, I would say it's somewhat hidden and obscure obscure in this passage because it's embedded more deeply in the passage. It doesn't come out and just say this, but it's this point that God expects and enables bold servant leadership. See, your leadership is called for. Ehud took the lead and he followed God. He took the lead by following the master. That's how we're to lead. Ehud took a risk, a big risk. He made this plan that if he was, was found out, he would be instantly killed. He brought a weapon over the threshold of the king's palace. He took a calculated risk he thought it through he planned it out he took calculated action he, in verse 16 he made and then hid the sword it's interesting it was a cubit long you make a fist from the knuckles of your fist down to about your elbow that's about a cubit that was going to be a tight squeeze on the inside of his thigh unless he was a really tall guy it was a dangerous situation for himself it was a dangerous situation for everyone involved he took a risk I know I think this if you can dream a good thing you should be able to do it too in God's strength if you got this idea and you think this is a crazy idea but it's a way to reach people with the gospel you should try it you should try it don't just dismiss it as some crazy idea God expects and enables leadership. See, Ehud took courageous action. He put himself on the line. He thrust the sword into Eglon. It was a good shot. The dude was big. A big boy. And he put it all the way through to where it needed to be, and that sword did its job. And you know what's interesting? The action he took was not just for himself. It was community action for the benefit of all Israel. Israel. Here's, here's what he did. He went and he sounded the trumpet. He, it says he was their leader. He said, it said that they followed him. God provided this deliverer in the most unexpected way, and he creatively and courageously walked out a plan to deliver the word. It was a very pointed message judgment on Eglon and the Moabites, redemption for Ehud and the Israelites. And God made it happen. He did so by moving in the heart of an unlikely hero. Well, God wants you to lead. God wants you to lead. You can lead others to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. God says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I want to say something to the men. I realize there is a common, I wouldn't even call it a trend, it's just a, a tradition. You, you, You lift up the moms on Mother's Day And you hammer the guys on Father's Day But I don't want to hammer the guys I want to call the guys out I want to call you out To what God has called you to God expects your leadership men You you are to lead You are to fight for your women and children You are to rise up And put on your big boy pants And do what God has called you to do Be the man that God has called you to be Don't be a little boy anymore But be a man because God expects and enables humble, bold servant leadership. You've got to initiate. It's like you're the point guard, you're the quarterback, you're the captain. The buck stops with you. You're not a freshman anymore, you're a senior now. Don't wait for someone else to take the lead. So many men, we're, we're just waiting for someone else to initiate. You've got to open the door. You've got to go for it. You've got to take a risk. You've got to not be afraid. Now look, believers in Christ are not robots. They're not puppets. They're not Pinocchios. They are real people made in the image of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, who make plans and do stuff. We've got to make plans and carry them out. Proverbs 16 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So you think up a good plan of how you can deliver the word of God to those in your sphere of influence, and then you trust God. Say like James, uh, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Well, yes, the Lord wills for you to share the word of God with your household and with the workplace and with the community. Yes, it is God's will for you to do that. And as you do it, you've got to trust God with all your heart. Proverbs 3, don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him, then he will make your path straight. You know, he can and often does use anyone he wants. Even very unlikely people for his good purposes. God can use you. God wants to use you. He wants you to lead. I think Christian men need to sit up and take notice of the reality of our situation. And you might not see yourself as a leader. A lot of guys I know don't see themselves as a leader, but they got leader written all over them. They just don't see it so I'm calling you out to lead. You might be afraid to do that. You might think that God only uses right-handed people. You might think, well, your gift mix just is a little bit deficient. No, God gave you the gift mix that he wants you to have to do the things he wants you to do. You are God's chosen man for this time in the places that you hang out. So lead. In God's strength no reservations no hesitations Eglon didn't have constipation see beyond the status quo and and go do what you're called to do you know Ehud didn't take a shortcut didn't look for an easy way out he dug in right where he was and he did the heavy lifting even probably when he had the most unpopular job on the planet for that day Men, if you have a family that you have been given by God, your God-given calling is to lead them spiritually, to lead them in the ways of the Lord. And you've got to take Ehud-like action that's calculated, that's courageous, and designed to benefit the community you lead. Men, Your leadership is not just called for, it is expected by God. But you you can be assured, it is enabled by Him. You've got to do it humbly and boldly and as a servant. And what you're called to do is deliver His word to whoever you lead. If you don't lead, people go hungry. Children are not fed. Spiritually malnourished women and children result. And what God calls you to do, he will enable you to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you may say, but none of my friends do this. None of my peers are are into this. Well, are you a leader or a follower? Be a leader. Take a risk. Take your household to God and his word. Have you noticed how competitive our culture is? How our competitive nature is always getting appealed to? Be the first of your friends to like this. Well, in the best possible way, in the most Christ honoring way, be the first of your friends to take God at His word and start doing the very simple thing of reading the Bible and praying with whoever God has put you in charge of. God wants to use you to deliver His word to whomever you lead so that they would get His message, so that they would praise Jesus the ultimate deliverer look God does these things in unexpected ways you think about what happened in this passage the Lord raised up for them a deliverer and the land had rest for 80 years they had peace just for a while 80 years is a long time sure but then they didn't when you come to faith in Christ you have peace with God through your Lord Jesus Christ Romans 5 1 But what a weird way to be delivered. I I know, Ehud, that's that's a weird way to be delivered. Juicy topic for Father's Day, but a really weird way to be delivered. But think about the cross. How weird was that? Jesus, like Ehud, went behind enemy lines to defeat evil. He did it through the cross. God became a man and took our place. It's a weird idea that could only be accomplished by God. The story we need to hear Is how Ehud points to Christ See you might lead a church You might lead a family You might lead a small group A bible study A company A group of 5 year olds Or a group of 85 year olds But the message you need to hear Is how Ehud points to Christ Think about Ehud He killed an evil king He escaped death Then he blew the trumpet It signified God's temporary Deliverance of his people Jesus The king of kings Was killed He was buried. He was raised. And that signified full and final deliverance and salvation for his people. One day, we read in his word that he will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. And we will always be with the Lord. That is our hope. Let's pray lord god we thank you for the hope you've given us in christ thank you lord that you raised jesus up to deliver us by dying on a cross in our place so that we might rest in him forever thank you lord that just as ehud led the people and said follow after me we hear jesus saying follow me and i'll make you fishers of men thank you lord that you give us hope for the difficult times we face. Thank you Lord that you have a way of delivering us from seemingly hopeless situations that you change our circumstances in the most unexpected time and way. Thank you Lord for the assurance that our final victory is safe. Thank you that even Paul could say describing when he was under great pressure beyond his ability to endure which we find ourselves often that he was able to say thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. We thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.